Everybody wants to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. Imagine making a difference. No, imagine being the difference. The difference between I can't and I can or I won't and I will. The reason someone chooses to wake up and strive for greatness. In life, it can feel like everything is working against you. Let's defy all odds and break generational curses. This is Overstepping Poverty with Daquan and Zacchaeus. Welcome back to Overstepping Poverty, the podcast that provides you with tips, tricks, and hacks in Overstepping Poverty. My name is Daquan Brooks, and I'm here with my co-host, Zacchaeus Shaw. How you doing, Zacchaeus? I'm doing good today, brother. Good. You know, out there coaching football today, Yeah, myself, it can be frustrating sometimes, I'll tell you that much. Yeah? It, it is, but we got a game tomorrow, We're playing Ben Rifle. Um, looking to get out there and just see some execution, man. That's I where, love it. That's where we're at with things, just the little things. But um, as long as they're getting better, you know what I'm saying? Yep. It's How a long you? season, you know? It so is a long season. You got to take a, one game, one practice at a time. So It is. And the thing is, like, each year, because I work with the seventh graders, and it's just it's a new group every mm-hmm. year. So you have to learn so much about each different player every single year. Because growing up, when I played, I wasn't the type of player where you could, like, yell at me a lot, and right. I'm going to respond. Because it gets a little frustrating. Yeah, I, right. I, I, and, but there are players that will. So, you mm-hmm. know, you really got to take the time to, to make a connection. I completely understand people. that just because, like, even, like, in my career field, you know, we have to coach as well when it comes to our uh, our salesmen and whatnot because yep. we, we want to make sure that the processes and everything like that goes goes smoothly. And each salesman responds differently to how you talk to them, um, you know, whether it's your tone or um, if you're more demanding than rather than just asking them to do something. So for every single person, you have to have a different way of coming about at the situation, you know. Right. So the delivery. Um, exactly, the mm-hmm. delivery on that there. But you did ask how I'm, how I'm doing. I'm doing great. Um, I'm super excited to get into this. This episode here uh yeah. we have a fellow yote that's coming on go yotes yep let's go you know so so why don't we get into that why don't you go and introduce our special guest yes i would love to introduce our guest today it's fitting that i brought up football because we have the newest sioux falls storm head coach with us today i'm going to give a little background on this guy real quick his name is andre fields before i bring him in i just want everybody to know he almost needed to get more fingers for all of his rings, <laughs> which is crazy. But yeah, he's uh, uh, the new head coach for the Sioux Falls Storm, Andre Fields. Let's go. Welcome. Welcome. On, man. Yes. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So I want to ask you as a coach, what was or is your favorite position to coach? Because mm-hmm. for me, I've always been a lineman, but you know lineman got the best hands on the team. <laughs> Facts. So I always okay. wanted to coach <laughs> the receivers or the, the corners. I love corners. I think they got the most swag. They have to have the most attitude. But what about you? Well, me obviously having played corner, I would agree with that. I yeah. think we have the uh, most swag athleticism, yep. most athletic guys on the field. So I, uh, I really enjoy coaching DBs just because obviously I played the position myself and that's really all I have coached. I, mm. I coached little league football as well, so you got to mm-hmm. know everything. And yeah, as a DC, you make 
tips and you know point out things to other positions but they also have their position coach but if right. you ask me what's my favorite this course is, is secondary of course absolutely of course. absolutely if it were for me i'd probably say like qb okay. you know honestly uh sioux falls junior football really took away my entire career field <laughs> because <laughs> i used that? to i like to eat when i was younger and okay. so um once you get into football they have what's called a ringer you get a, mm-hmm. a nice little ring around the yep. your helmet mm-hmm. and if you're over a certain weight you can't be a skilled position you have to be on the line which is and crazy. so yeah i know like i man i had these uh tickets to their you're selling like junior football like tickets and whatnot raffles, to and raffles yeah and i was so excited to be able to get on and get into football that I sold all these raffle tickets in one night. Everyone was like, how, how did you do? Like literally I spent all day and night. I was going door to door just myself at this time, um, sold them all. And I'm like, I'm going to be a QB. (laughs) I'm going to get out the, yup, let's go. And then I got in there and they weighed me and they're like ringer. I'm like, Oh, let me get that money back. (laughs) That's crazy. But, um, no, that's a, that's a great question uh, there, but I actually, I want to ask you a question where it starts from the beginning, you know, just telling us about you and, and just, cause not a lot of people, of course, around here, this is what, this is what we do to make sure that everyone knows everyone and they know the details of them. Um, so I want you to tell us exactly that background story, where you came from, how you grew up, how'd you get here? You know? Right. Right. So I'm, I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. I'm a South sider. So I'm a okay. White Sox fan, not a Cubs fan. Okay. Um, but I'm a, I'm a South, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm a South side Chicago kid. Went to high school there, grew up there. Family basically for the most part still lives there. Okay. And we'll we'll get into those details. But got a football scholarship to the University of South Dakota. Go Yotes. So that's kind of what brought me to the area. But even in that, the defensive backs coach for USD at the time was a graduate of the same high school. Okay. Um, and I have allergies, so if you hear my voice sounding like puberty, that's that's what it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but he was he had graduated from the same high school, so he was obviously back recruiting that area and uh, recruited me to come to South Dakota. Um, through my recruiting, you know, I wasn't recruited by a lot of big schools. You know, it was more mid-Division two schools. Sure. What it ended up coming down for me to was University of South Dakota, University of Nebraska, Omaha. Mm. This was back when they obviously had a football program. Yep. It was also back when they were still more of a commuter school, meaning they didn't have on-campus housing. Sure. So most of the students just lived at home and went to school there and took classes. The athletes, they obviously had ways of housing them. It was kind of like a JUCO where right. mm-hmm. they had apartment buildings and things like that that they housed the athletes in. So it came down to those two schools for me. Mm-hmm. And during the recruiting process, uh, Coach Reed was his name. Rest in peace to Coach Reed. He he passed away of a heart attack a couple years back. Um, but it, it came down to those two schools. And Coach Reed was very diligent about showing me where each team was in their history. And at that mm. particular time, UNO hadn't been playing very good football. And so right. he sent me like programs where he highlighted the standings and showed them at the bottom. And <laughs> USD was kind of, you know, in the middle. Mm. And he sent me articles about the program and this, that, and the other. And so for me, I ended up going to the University of South Dakota. And I committed to USD. You know, you get on campus in August. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so parents drive me out. We show up. It's the first day. We're getting checked into the dorms and all this. And they have a big team meeting to kind of kick it off. Right. We're sitting in the stands at the Dakota Dome, listening to the coaches. 
And I'm sitting there, you know, with my parents and my father and stuff, and like, man, where where's Coach Reed? You know, I don't I don't see him, you know. Mm. This is obviously literally day one, right? We all just showed up. So at the end of the meeting, the head coach at the time, his name was Denny Crehan, he says, uh, where's Andre Fields? So I raised my hand, you know, so now I'm kind of like, whoa, I'm being singled out like on the first right, day. That's like, crazy. You know, and uh, <laughs> and I didn't really know him very well because mm-hmm. Reed had done all the recruiting, you know. Yep. So I knew of him. I met him on my recruiting trip, but didn't really know the head coach like that. But he says, hey, uh, let me talk to you after this. So they break the meeting. We go down. He's like, come into the coach's office. We want to talk to you and your your dad. So we go mm-hmm. into the coach's office. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, we just wanted to let you know that – Coach Reed took another job, so he's no longer here. But, you know, we still want you to care about, you know, you're here now. Like, you know, they just basically making sure I didn't want to leave right, because he right. wasn't coaching, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it's fine. I'm I'm good. I chose the school, you know. Like, he was a part mm-hmm. of it, but I chose the school. And mm-hmm. and um, just out of curiosity, you know, like, where did he go? And they're like, oh, he took a job at University of Nebraska, Omaha. What? Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so from there, it became a mission of mine. I'm like, okay, let me see where they had on schedule. Oh, they're the last game of the season. I'm like, I have to play in that game. Right. I right. have sure. to play in that game. And sure enough, you know, I'm fortunate. I was able to start as a freshman. And so I started in that game. You know, and after the game, I got to go up to him. And he's like, oh, how you doing, man? I'm like, I'm good. And that's really all I said. And then I kind of went away because it was a combination of, excitement from the game still and then kind of just like oh, i can't believe you left me right. you know that type of thing but fast forward mm-hmm. great story i have a blended family okay so i have two younger brothers and then i have a brother and sister who are step siblings okay been with us forever and I, i'll get into that a little bit too um but anyway my stepbrother then obviously has a different last name. My dad married his mom. He has a different last name, but he's been with us since he was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Right? We've been family since eight years old. So now he's 18. It's been 10 years. You know, I've been his big brother for 10 years. Yeah. He's 18. He's going through the recruiting process. I'm living here in South Dakota. He's back in Chicago. He comes down. They call him out of school, or out of his classroom. You know, come down, meet this coach, you know, whatever. He comes into the room. Man steps up. How you doing, Lavelle? My name is Coach Reed. I'm with the University of Nebraska Omaha. And Lavelle starts kind of giggling. He's like, Well, what you giggling about? You know, he's like, Well, you, I know you. You just don't know me. <laughs> right. yeah. And he's like, Well, who, you know, how do you know me? He's like, Oh, my brother's Andre Fields. Oh, oh wow. Go through this. Lavelle ends up committing to UNO. You commit and you sign in February. Yep. Right? Yep. That's for signing day for football. I get a call in. May, June from Lavelle. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, what's up, man? What's going on? He's like, you're never going to believe this. I'm like, what? He's like, I just got a call from UNO. So I'm thinking the worst. I'm like, they reneged on your scholarship. Like, right. what's yeah. going on? He's like, yeah, they called to tell me that Coach Reed took a job <laughs> at University of Ohio or something like that. Right. And it's like, I'm like, how ironic is it that he recruited both of us, gave us both scholarships to come and play at these schools, and never coached neither one that of is us nuts. Like one day? Like he wasn't even on campus when we showed up. So what is that crazy story? Before we rewind into more of like how, coming up and stuff, but with that, um, how did you feel? How did your brother feel about the fact that he did not? Well, for one, that he helped get you the opportunity of getting a right, scholarship. Right. But 
not being there for you to see you fulfill it, I guess. It was, you know, it's 50 50. I mean, for us, it was kind of like, okay, we'll just move on. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, we got to get yeah. to know all the coaches anyway, type of thing. We kind of joke about, we, you know, we tell this story all the time and we joke about it. And that brother, Lavelle, he's a, he's a college coach. Okay. So he had the chance to run into Reed on several occasions and Reed kind of became a mentor to him. Right. Um, so they talked about it and, you know, he <laughs> laughed about it. And it was a running joke in the family because I have a younger brother and we always used to be like, well, there's one more. Like maybe, maybe he'll give him a scholarship and leave too, you know. But, yeah, it was just – it was interesting. Obviously, we're grateful that he gave us mm-hmm. the opportunities, right? Sure, he, yeah. He's the one that recruited us, got us the scholarships. We committed to him. Um, and it probably would have been really nice to play for him. Right. I mean, he was a successful coach, obviously. He moved around a lot. He was working at a D1 school, Eastern Michigan, when, mm-hmm. when he had his heart attack, unfortunately. Good, but, yeah, and so – it was one of those things, you know. Yeah. I, I never got to run into him again. Obviously, like I said, my brother had, did, but I mm-hmm. never got to see him after those years, mm-hmm. those uh, college years. But it is yeah. what it is. And now look at you. Yep, That's crazy. Exactly. That's crazy. Can you take us back to when you were younger? You know, you mentioned being in a blended family. What was it like growing up um, and becoming a blended family? Because there's a lot of people out there that – Obviously, divorce rates are high. Family, a lot of times, families become blended families. I um, mean, even my siblings, we don't have the same father. But for me, I never looked at them any differently. Right. You mm-hmm. know, exactly. so what was it like for you growing up and kind of those changes? Yeah. So and, and, and it'll also piggyback into more of who I am. But my story actually starts basically kind of when I was around eight years old. Okay. So mm-hmm. my parents um, had me, but they never actually married Okay. Right, mm-hmm. they were just co-parenting, and then uh, at eight years old, my mom. Great, great story for a podcast. Right? Sure, I'm yeah. full of them, but great story. <laughs> my Let's mom, my mom passed when I was eight years old from okay. cancer. The year prior, when I was seven, and of course I learned all of this later in life, right? Mm-hmm. But when I was seven, she she knew it was terminal, and it was it was only a matter of time. And so, at least what I've been told, she wanted to finish her degree before she passed on. Mm. It's like something she just felt like she had to do. Right. So she was going to go back to school full time. It was nursing. So it wasn't like she had three or four years. She had like a year left. She, cause that's yep. what she had went to school for originally didn't finish because of me. Okay. So she wanted to get that done. So she sent me to live with my great aunt and uncle because they had a you know family dynamic. They had daughters. She mm. wanted me to kind of have that. And then the, the the goal was then come back once she finished and ride it out. Sure. Well, at that particular time, my great aunt, oh my uncle, my great uncle was a colonel in the Air Force. He was stationed in Rapid City. Oh wow! So I spent third grade in Rapid City, South Dakota. Shut up! <laughs> That's crazy. Came back the very next summer because she had went into the coma. Come back, you know, in sep- in September of that year, she passed. So that was like going into my third grade. Mm-hmm. Went into the start of third grade. So she passed. Then I moved in with my dad full time and he had a wife and we had two, you know, two boys, my brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Well, actually just one of them. And then they ended up getting a divorce. And then he remarried. And then the other brother came along. Okay. Um, they ended up getting divorced and kind of right. putting his business out there. But <laughs> they ended up getting divorced. And then he eventually got with. My current stepmother. Okay. So they've been together now for about 25 years. Wow. Um, so I have three younger brothers and a sister. The mm-hmm. sister's the one next to me. So it goes me, 
Lashana, then Jerron, mm-hmm. Lavelle, who I mentioned, yep. and then Danico is the baby. He's, I think, twenty nine now. Or something okay, like okay. That. So we're all fairly. We're all within. No, I guess not, because <laughs> he's eighteen years younger <laughs> than me. But uh, we're all you know clumped in there together. But. Mm, yeah. um, all of them still live in Chicago except for Lavelle because he's a college football coach. Okay. So after he finished at UNO, he actually he went to UNO for two seasons, then transferred to USF. Oh, okay. Won a couple national championships with Kalen DeBoer before oh, yeah. you know he moved on, and then uh, and then he got it right into coaching. Bounced around a little bit, but he spent the last six years at Mankato. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So he's a DB coach at Mankato. So because oh. so he's moved around a little bit, but everybody else, that's still, still, still in Chicago. Yeah, very nice. So I got the scholarship to South Dakota. Came here, played four years. Uh, met my wife in Vermilion, and okay. she happens to be from Sioux Falls. Mm. Uh, so when I graduated, I actually lived a year in Sioux City and played indoor football for there. With the bandits? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very so cool. that first year they were the, called the attack. Oh. But they became the bandits the right. very next year. Okay. Kind of like Sioux Falls, the first year of their existence, they were the Cobras. Mm-hmm. And then they became the Storm. Right. So I that first that. year I was with the I was with the bandits in Sioux City and then I actually took a year off from football because mm. that's when Shalia was born. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I'm gonna just move on and get a job and be you know and be a grown up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then about six, seven, eight months in, I'm like, nah, I want to keep playing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, like yep. I'm seeing my friends still playing, guys that I played with or against. And I'm like, oh no, I got it. I got way, way more in the tank. I gotta right. get it out. So then I joined the storm in 03. Wow. And uh played seven seasons and then moved right into coaching right after that. With so oh nine, yep, was my last uh season playing. And then twenty ten I started coaching. Nice. So between 2010 and 2013, I've actually coached 10 seasons. Okay. So there were like four years in there yep. where I tried to walk away and either right. just, either the coaches were pulling me back, like, <laughs> man, come back and coach. Or mm-hmm. I'm at games and I'm like, ah, oh, no, I need to go back and coach because yeah. I got to help them out, you know, that type of thing. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it's been my, so this past season was my 10th season coaching. Wow. Congratulations well, you, on that. Thank yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. So what really got you into keeping coaching and continuing that career. I mean, obviously you had the love for football, you were playing it, but I truly believe that playing football and coaching football, those are two completely different levels. Like, and you have to have the love for either one of those to continue, Mm -hmm. especially for how long you have. So what has inspired you to just keep going? Yeah. You know, it's ironic because I think it's just an intrinsic talent or trait Mm -hmm. um, where I, relate well with people. Mm-hmm. I think my special power, which is kind of what you're asking in a, in a way, yep. I think my special power is the ability to relate to different people of all backgrounds, races, likes, dislikes. It's yeah. just the way to kind of navigate that, right? Because right, yep. what you were mentioning earlier, everybody responds differently to different things, Yeah. right? And so I just feel that that's one of my things is that I can kind of endure myself to people and build relationships with people um, yeah. of all types of, you know, people you wouldn't think mm-hmm. you could do that with. Right. I feel like I can feel, I can find a way mm-hmm. if they're open to it. And so um, because of that knack, um, I was, I was just kind of drawn to coaching. Yep. Um, now, initially 
the superficial reason was I just wasn't ready to be away from the game. I knew mm-hmm. the playing part was over, right. but I still wanted to be around it. I still wanted to be with the guys, I, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so that's why I initially got into it. But as I kept going, it was like, you know, I can do this. I'm pretty good at this. Like, guys, right. I can get through to them. I can motivate them. And uh, and so then that's just kind of built from there. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I was going to say, so for you, being somebody that was successful really at every level that you've played and being very successful at USD, coming out with the Storm, winning as many championships as you did, I have to ask you, what did you learn? If you can reflect on that time, what is it that makes like a champion? championship team that mindset that goes into it because there's a feeling that you can that you feel you know and you sometimes you can feel it on the first day of practice like okay yeah we got we got some guys right we got a chance and if we can pull it together we can make this work what what do you think goes into that you have to have a chip on i believe you have to have a chip on that on your shoulder or some Mm -hmm. kind of you know, some semblance of an underdog mentality mm-hmm. to really, truly, like, get the best out of you. Right. Especially when you've had some success. And it's, it's ironic you would say, you know, you've had some success on every level. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at it, when I step back and look at it, yeah, I have, right? Mm-hmm. But while I'm in it, I always felt like I wasn't reaching the goal. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and I think a lot of athletes go through that, especially when... You, you know, we didn't win a state championship in high school. I wasn't all state, but I knew guys who were, right? So right. for me, it was like, man, I got to get that. I got to keep grinding. I wasn't all state. I know I'm just as good as them. So mm-hmm. you push it, right? Then you right. get to college, and it's the same thing. Like, well, I got to be an All-American. Well, I got to make the team better, you know. And, oh, I'm mm-hmm. at a small school. I got to prove myself somehow. Mm-hmm. With the storm, honestly, in our in those years where we set this tone, with yeah. all of those championships and all that winning we did, you know, we talk about it all the time too. Like we had a team full of small college players. The only we only had two Division One or Power Five players mm-hmm. on those teams. Really, with Terrence Bryant, our quarterback, being one of them. Okay, mm-hmm. so everybody else was a D two, a D three guy. Right, and we all I think played like that. Like yeah, we I never talked about it, but it was always. Look at the roster from, you know, like Lexington Horsemen were one of our big rivals at the time. It was Louisville, Kentucky, Georgetown, you know, all of these big schools. And we're like, we got to go showcase. Like, right. they think they're just going to walk over us because ours say Augustana, South Dakota, you know. Yep. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know what For I mean? sure. And so I think that drove us individually and collectively because we're like, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was we all had humility. We could We could push each other. And we knew it was for that same goal. Right. Like, I I never felt that I couldn't go up to a teammate and say, and I've actually told this story, Mark Blackburn, another person you should probably have on the podcast, great dude, Mm -hmm. worked at Augie as a dean for 10 years, you know, played with the Storm for me, with me, Um, another Coyote graduate. Okay, Um, let's go. But anyway, he, uh, I can remember, you know, he was our guy. He was the, you know, he ended up getting MVP at the 2008 championship game and, but he was our guy, and in one of those championships, he was just – he was overheating, basically. He was hot, and he was just tired, and mm-hmm. he couldn't cool off to really play, just overheating. Right. And because of that, he was a half-step slow. He wasn't making plays. And I can remember just coming to the sideline and being like, look, man, I get it. You're overheating, but 
you need to figure something out. Right. Because mm-hmm. we need you, bro. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you playing it's like like the crap. Time. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I got to be the one to tell you. But, like, you, you playing like crap and you need to figure this out because yeah. we need you. Yeah. And it wasn't like, man, forget you. You playing like crap. You know, you get a lot of that sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you get those guys that are like, I got you. Yep, right. I feel yep. you. Thanks. You woke me up. Like, I get it. You know, or, you know, right. yep. like those, those, when you get that, you own to something. Thanks. And we had that. Mm-hmm. We, awesome. we had that with that group. That's Absolutely. really cool. I really like that. It makes me think of like Kobe uh, when you talk about the underdog. Because he would always, they talk about how he would always find a way to like make himself the underdog. Mm-hmm. Even though mm-hmm. they might be favored, he might be the best player in the world. It's, oh, this dude thinks he can guard me. He thinks he's better than right. me, man, type or of something. thing. That you know, old Michael, just, Michael Jordan, just me being yep. Chicago guy, you know, I love Michael Jordan. Yeah. Same thing. You're like, oh, I took it personal. Like, every, <laughs> everything, <laughs> you know, yep, literally. it's fake. That's, that's <laughs> what it got to be. I like that. And actually, it's funny that you mentioned Kobe because I actually wrote down a quote that he had for us. And I wasn't okay. even going to say the quote in this podcast here, but it actually kind of takes me into my next question for you. But Kobe once said, he said, I was chasing excellence and perfection, even though I knew I would never catch it. But just because of the fact that I was willing to chase it, I would defeat most of my opponents because they would never chase something they had never had guarantees attached to it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And like, we're talking about exactly having that mindset and that hunger, that winning mentality uh, to continue to want to get better, to be able to step up to the next level and to win, not only for yourself, but for your teammates. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in any level, in any career, if you don't have that hunger or that mentality, then you're just going to coast. And people coast they get forgotten and this is why kobe mike uh michael jordan lebron james those are people that'll never be forgotten because they were never comfortable with just being okay you know they were chasing things like that excellence and that perfection um and there's only certain i mean a percentage of people who actually have that right uh, in them and whatnot but that was actually going to lead me to my next question for you here, just because, you know, doing a little bit of reading, you had over a hundred or what was that? 108 consecutive starts, yeah. which is a record, you know, and we talk about how to be perfect, you know, how to, how to be as close to excellent as possible. And that's that consistency, yep. you know, and, and in your career and seeing and coaching so many different players, can you tell us exactly how important is it to be consistent at it in whatever you do in life? I mean, if you want to be great, that's it. You have to be consistent. And I, like I go around pregame and shake each person, each player's hand and just, you know, hey, good mm-hmm. luck. Let's go have a good one today or whatever I think I can say to kind of motivate them a little bit in just that mm-hmm. little quick second. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of them, that's what I say. Like consistency is greatness. Anybody can have one good game. Mm-hmm. Right. Anybody can have one good season. Mm-hmm. But it's those who have multiple good games and multiple good seasons, those ones we call great. We only know them because of that. Right. You know, and like Michael Jordan averaged 30 points a game Mm -hmm. over his career. Are you kidding me? They played 82 games a season, regular season. He played in multiple postseasons where Mm -hmm. they go, you got to win four out of seven, right? Right. And it finished with over 30 points a game. That's consistency, you know. Anybody can have the – and no, not knocking Kobe, obviously, but anybody Mm -hmm. can have the 81. Right. right? But that might be one time and then just never – 30 points a game, you know. So that consistency is the key. And and I think that, to your point, if you're chasing consistency in any goal, Mm -hmm. you're going to – 
I mean, that's a good thing to chase, right? right? Because it's it's going to keep you grounded, keep you focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to realize that the days that it's really high, well, it's, I'm going to have a low day at some mm-hmm. point, and those are going to balance out. So let me keep striving to keep them high, you know, yeah. that type of thing. So yeah, consistency is a huge piece, absolutely yeah, a huge piece. Growing up, my dad always used to say, "Getting to work is usually the hardest part for people." It's just doing the act. And then once you get there, you're in the gym or you're waking up early and you're doing your thing, just get out of bed and go do the thing. Like you said, whether they're the highs or the lows, you showing up is more effort than majority of the people in the world. Literally, Mm -hmm. you just getting there is more than what most people are doing. So it's just that first step Um, for those that are chasing that perfection or consistency. Just take that first step and and keep working hard. I have to ask now that you're in uh, the position as a head coach you work with players from all over the country from different levels whether it's d1 or or juco or whatever can you talk about the challenge of working with the with the players that are at the d1 and and you know the top compared to those that do come in from a juco or naia or something like that and kind of the struggles or not struggles but maybe challenges of working with those two different i kind of want to say personalities yeah just dynamics right? yeah sure. yeah definitely um because you're right we get guys from all levels yeah right and there's a lot of dynamics at play for some guys they you know come from the power five schools you know we had the mm-hmm. oklahoma florida you know you name it, they've probably been in the program in right. mm-hmm. Arkansas. We've had a bunch of those guys. Then you'll have the, you know, your, your local small colleges. You'll have your Augie or your USF guy, right? Yep. You'll have the guys. I mean, we had two guys last year, um, Clifton Duckin and Daryl Banfield, that were in Bears camp mm-hmm. until the end. That's like, crazy. you know, we've yeah. all watched Hard Knocks. Like, they, they made it to that last cut. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then got cut. Right. right. So we've had guys that come well. You deal with a couple different things. You don't always see it either. You have to kind of draw it out. So you deal with the guys who come from that, and they kind of see this as a step down. Mm -hmm. And so they may not be really pushing themselves as they should. Mm -hmm. Right. You'll see the small college guy who really is pushing the heck out of himself. He's trying to overachieve because he has that underdog mentality. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And then you'll see the mid. You'll see, like, it could be a power fire guy, it could be a D2 guy where they, they, they just, they're in between. Yeah. You know, they're just kind of towing the line. Mm-hmm. The one thing that motivates all of them is something I say every year at the beginning mm-hmm. there's a reason you're here. All of you want to play at the higher level. We know that, right? That's why you signed up because mm-hmm. this is supposed to be a feeder league into like CFL, XFL, USFL, yeah. NFL. Yeah. Yep. You all want that, but you, you're you here. And that means that there's something about your game that's missing. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the guys who just got cut from the Bears or it's the guys who never had that shot or a lot of them have had a tryout or two or went to the combine and it right. just didn't work out. Like there's something about your game that's missing. They don't think that you run routes good enough. They mm-hmm. don't think you're a good teammate. They don't think that, you know, you can tackle. You're just a corner that – likes to go for picks, you know what right. I mean? Or you're not physical enough or you're not big enough. There's something. Right. Right. And it's your job to 
Find out what that is. If you know it, then you need to work on it. If you mm-hmm. don't know it, you need to find it and figure it out and then work on it. Right. Right. And and a lot of that for some of them just comes down to really doing a introspection, like really checking themselves and being mm-hmm. honest with themselves. A lot of young guys don't want to do that. It's hard. You know? Yeah. yeah. You know, either they don't want to or they don't know how to. Right. Right. right? Because it just hasn't sunk in, right? Mm-hmm. And so I try to drive that point home. Like, you're here for a reason. My job is to either continue to push you to see it, and then we can exploit it, and we can highlight mm-hmm. it or whatever we got to do to bring it out there so you can get right. better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's to point it out because maybe you didn't know it. You know, because yeah. the one thing we do know is that everybody at this level is athletic. Right. right? Yeah. Everybody at this level is good. Like mm-hmm. so it's it's some kind of intangible that we gotta figure that out. Right. You know, and a lot of guys it's guys who get that and then of course there's guys that don't. You right. Know? Yeah, that's <laughs> just kinda how it, it or is. Or they get yeah. it too late. Right. Right. Some of them they'll figure it out and they've been in the IFL for five, six years and now the league is like, Oh, you finally figured it out and you turned it on, but ah, you're gonna be thirty. Late. Right, right. We're not taking you at thirty because I can go find you at twenty-five somewhere else. Right, mm-hmm. that's you know crazy. What I mean? So, yeah. With that being said, I mean, we also discuss failure on this podcast here, and to me, in my opinion, success is is like the devil to me. Just because when people get so successful at something, a lot of them just become again comfortable, mm-hmm. and so whatever they're doing, and then you have someone else who who hasn't tasted that success or had that moment and they're continuously working, working, working. And they'd soon pass these people who've had a little bit of success and have just kind of leveled out. Mm -hmm. Now, what I want to know exactly is, is for you, obviously we talk about all your success and everything that you've done, but a lot of the times no one ever talks about those failures on that. Right. What are some failures that you've had that you've really just overcame and like how, how have you taken that next step to overcome those failures and build off of it? And that's a really good question. Cause there are a lot of them out there, but the ones that really um, kind of change who you are as a person, I'll give you one that's just right off the top that is obviously relevant. Mm-hmm. And I also tell this to a lot of the guys that come in with the storm. So mm-hmm. for those listening who just kind of don't know the structure of indoor football, mm-hmm. we, we carry 25 players on our team. Okay. Okay. We can only dress 21 of them each week. So mm-hmm. essentially we have four guys that are practice squad. And it's not necessarily practice squad because each week that could change and fluctuate who's on the 21 man. Yep. Sure. But there's always going to be four guys that don't get to participate in the game each week. Okay. And that can be rough, right? Because for a lot of them, they've been starters their whole life. And now all of a sudden they don't get to play. Right. You know, right. and and they don't understand that. In some cases, it's not just, oh, you weren't good enough. But sometimes it's, oh, this left tackle has a sore ankle. We got to dress another lineman just in case. Mm-hmm. Well, if we got to dress another lineman, you got to sit. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So it's not, you know, oh, because you had a bad week. So anyway, with that said, mm-hmm. it can be tough on the ego. Right. Because you also then don't get your full check. Mm-hmm. Right. The four guys that don't dress don't get the full check. The full right. check only comes if you're on the 21-man roster. Okay. Right? So <laughs> you don't get to dress. <laughs> you don't get to play. You got to stand on the sideline, and you're not getting full pay. Right. You're getting right. paid pennies, you know? So usually they're probably hot about that. Right. So hot. Right. Well, I played that first year in Sioux City, mm-hmm. fresh out of college. I was a starter that whole season. 
we played against the Storm, and at that time we would, you know, we played them like three times in that season, beat them all three times, mm. right? So then that when I came back, when I came to Sioux Falls my first year in 03, mm-hmm. I knew a bunch of the guys. Like we either played in college together, or I played against them when I was playing in Sioux City, so yeah. on and so forth. The first seven games of that season, I was that guy that didn't get to dress. Really? And so it really hurt my ego. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I was a starter against you. Right. Like, I, I, I dominated some of you wide receivers. How come I can't? How come I'm not dressing? You know, and mm-hmm. it, it was tough. And those first probably four or five games, mm-hmm. well, once it got to four or five games, I was like, it's no sense in me doing this. I'm wasting my time. I'm practicing, mm-hmm. and I'm not getting to play. So, right. I'm not, like, so I'm not getting no money. I'm just, I'm just out here. Like, I'm not going to keep doing this, right? Yeah. My ego is really being loud, right? <laughs> right? And it was my buddies, Bobby Perkins, to be exact. He was like, "Man, just stick with it. It's going to come. Just stick with it. It's going to come." Just and he and I played at USD together, and so he was close. Yeah. Um, he's older than me, so he was always kind of a mentor figure. Mm-hmm. I'll just stick it out, man. I promise you it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. And that was the only reason why I stuck it out because yeah. I didn't want to let them down. But every week it was excruciating. Then yeah. you stand on the sideline like, <laughs> dude, like really? it's, we halfway through the season. It's a 14-game regular season. Mm-hmm. Here we are on game six. I'm still, I still haven't dressed for one ball game. Right? Did you feel like at the time that you were better than those that were in front of you? Yes. Yeah. And obviously that, you know, it, it's sh- a I should feel like right. that, right? right? But I did feel like that because the guy who was in front of me at the time was fresh out of college. I had had indoor experience, and there is a transition period. Sure. Like, it's a different game. It's like football, but indoor football is different. Mm-hmm. And so there were little things that I felt like I was way better than him at. Right. Now, was he good? Of course he was, right? I'm not going to. You know, sit here and say that like yeah. I wouldn't down him or nothing, but I felt like I was better. I think I was way more physical. Sure. So anyway, game seven, finally get a chance to dress, <laughs> right? And I'm like, okay, I get a chance to dress. Here we go. I remember I made every tackle on special teams because in my mind it was like I gotta I gotta make plays. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or it's not. Or I gotta prove it, right? Show so yeah. it was like I'm making these tackles. Be like. <laughs> No doubt. Game eight, didn't dress. Oh, wow. Right? So I'm like, what in the world, right? I know I was killing it. Mm-hmm. Well, it just, the stars kind of aligned because the guy in front of me had an absolute horrible game. Mm-hmm. And Coach Riggs called me from the bus because it was a road trip. I remember he called me from the bus and said, be ready next week. It's your time. Right? So yep. I'm like, cool. Well, from that game on, I did 108 straight. Like the next six years, wow. didn't miss no games. Part of that was that experience. Yep. It yeah. was like I'm not going Wally Pip this, where I'm not going to get hurt. Like if I had, if I was banged up, I made sure to figure it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take yep. some extra ibuprofen or something. Sure. I'm playing, mm-hmm. and so that really drove me to, I got to play well because mm-hmm. I don't want them to replace me. Right. I can't be hurt. Cause I don't want them to replace me, you know, like I wanted it more, you know? So that really was one of those times where the failure of not being able to dress that humility that I had to stand there on the sidelines and just take it. 
drove me the whole way. Yeah. Now, there's plenty I of uh, guys that have that a similar experience with the storm. Yeah. And we got to remind our new guys of that every year because they get to pouting and, you know, yeah. oh, coach, welcome on. And I'm like, look, it happens to everybody. It happened to me. Like, I understand. Right. And it doesn't make it easier on you. I get it. But right. I do understand. But that was one of the things. Here's the other one. And this one is a life one for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, when I was in high school, I had the benefit of being on the track team with one of the fastest sprinters in the state of Illinois. Mm. His name was Ray Fouché. He was the same grade as me. He ended up taking third, like three out of the four years in the 100 meters. Mm-hmm. And he, always, he used to always blame that on the fact that he had to go 100, 200, four by one, <laughs> four by two. Like, well, yeah. I'm tired. My legs are there. It's because he never won, actually won state. But mm. he was one of the fastest guys in the state mm. the, the entire time we were in high school. Like, he okay. was the man. If you Googled yeah. him, he's going to come up. Mm-hmm. Well, being on his team, I have a room full of high school relay medals. They all say first place. Because as long as you gave him the stick, <laughs> right. it, you didn't even have to be close. Just yep. get it to him clean. Mm-hmm. He was going to win. Yeah, take you know? off. So long story short, we cocky because we don't lose. We got Ray. You know, right. that type of thing. And we're standing in the tent or wherever they put us yeah you know the holding area before you go out um we're standing in there next to bloom high school which was another team that was very very good like it was competition Mm. and i can remember they make you stand in your order Mm. right and so the guy from bloom looks over and sees he has to rest uh he has to race ray and he said damn ray i gotta race you man i want (laughs) to race him Mm. I've never forgot it. I'm 46 years old. I never forgot that moment because I was like, there's two other dudes on this relay. He pointed me out. Right. He did. You see what I'm saying? I'm like, I get it. You don't want to race Ray. Don't nobody want to race Ray. But he pointed me out on these two (laughs) other dudes. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm faster than my two two other homies. So I can't believe he just called me out like that. Man, I it, I've never it drove me like <laughs> it still drives me like yep. if I think about it I'm like ah oh, you can probably hear it right now I'm like right. I can't believe he just called me out like that mm-hmm. and so yeah that really really drove me home and then the third failure was uh <laughs> we in one of those track meets we had already set a record for one of the relays mm-hmm. and we were going to set a record for the other one and we dropped the baton mm. and. I didn't know it at the time, but the next day, Chicago Sun-Times, like, um, it's only two papers, the Tribune and the Sun-Times. They have the big, the whole, I get the whole sports page. Oh, no. I'm squatting down like this. Oh. And it's like Thorn Ridges, Andre Fields, you know, in disgust after dropping the baton or something in a relay race. Right. And it wasn't, the only reason why it bothered me is because it's like, they put the failure yep. on the back page. Yep. You know, like, why they got to put that picture on there? Right. You know? so, oh, <laughs> yep. that just drove me crazy. They, were, they weren't there for you when you was holding up the first <laughs> Right. <picture. laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. That is life, though, right? It is. It is. Like, a lot of times people do want to see you doing good, but never better than them, especially when you get in competition, right? Yeah. And whether it's sales or it's coaching or sports in general, you got to be your own biggest cheerleader because there's a lot of people that 
that want you to fail and like the Chicago Tribune, they'll broadcast that. Yep. Right. The the ugly moments, right? So mm-hmm. But like you said, they drive you, right? They they do. Never forget it. Never yep. forget it. And it, it drives me and I get upset sometimes when my players don't have that same kind of drive or when I don't notice it. Yeah. You know, because to your point, like if you just keep an underdog mentality, it's going to keep you consistent because you always constantly feel like you got to chase. Yeah. You know, keep chasing, keep chasing. And I know when we were winning championships, we were the hunted. But, of course, that also drove us. It's like we can't make it seem like we was a one-year wonder. Mm, Got to win it again, you know. Can't let them think that they're even that close. Got to win it again. Like we had that mentality, which that was a special – era in time that all of us who are part of it and even fans who are part of it it'll be special to them yeah but mm-hmm. we had those mentalities we were like oh we're going to play this colorado team that's won two games if we don't win by 21 something's we wrong suck. yeah <laughs> right you know, yeah. So yeah. we were just hungry like <laughs> everybody you had that s- mentality you gotta be hungry i love that you do so uh, one thing I want to get in before we get into our roundtable where you're able to ask us some questions, I want to bring family into it now because as a coach, you know, and working, I'm not sure. Were you working while you were coaching? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yep. so just up until last June when I basically became full-time with the Storm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a job and all the assistants work outside of sure. coaching. Okay. So obviously that takes a lot of time away from family. Right. And I uh, experience that now as well as I coach and all that stuff. How for you and your family, how has going through football and the lessons you taught through football, if you can kind of wrap that all up and think about how you bring that into the home. Right. And bring in that consistency and the discipline and accountability, all those things. How is that translated from football basically into family life and life in general? It's a good question. I, you know, I've been blessed that my family has been supportive of the whole movement, you know, when I was playing, because that can be hard, especially like these guys don't make a lot of money. You know, it's two fifty right. a game. Right. You know, and <laughs> that's nothing. You right. know what I mean? And, and it's taxed. Right. So yep. it's really less wow. than that. Right. Yep. So it's really for love of that dream. And you got to have family behind you to allow you to do that. And I was fortunate with that. My family almost pushed me into it sometimes like those times Mm -hmm. when I tried to step away Mm -hmm. you know my daughter and my son were like why (laughs) (laughs) and part of it was they were a little bit kind of selfish because they like the access and the to kind of walk around like yeah my dad's a storm guy yeah Yeah, that kind of thing so um they would always try to push me back you know and I had one of those wives my wife was always like yeah you need to go do that you know, okay. you're starting to drive me crazy. Like, right. you need to get out yeah. and go coach somebody. <laughs> right. get, it, get it out, you know, that type of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah. I've always had the support of my family behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also always known that I had to balance it. And so for me, another reason that drove me when I was playing was, like, I got to play for the Storm while I don't play. Because I wasn't in that position where some of the guys now, you know, they come from, like you said, all over the country for this dream. And I always describe it to people. I'm like, this is like a nice summer job. Mm. You know, we take care of the house and mm-hmm. we take care of the food and they get a check. So if they didn't want to do anything while they're here, they didn't, they don't have to, they can be all football. Mm-hmm. Right. And I encourage that for some of them that really want to go on to the next level, because it's like, if, if this is what you really want to do, you actually have a four month window 
where you can dial in. Mm-hmm. Like right. Maybe you didn't dial in fully and that's why you're playing here. Like now take advantage of the training and of this and the focus and like mm-hmm. go right. all out. Yeah. Some of them we encourage, man, you need to work. <laughs> like I know you got bills and expenses and baby and this, that, and that. like find a part-time job and sure. just make it flexible around what we do. Right. Well, for me, that's how it was. It was like, I have to make it work here. Because if the storm would have cut me, I wasn't going to go play for somebody else. Right. You know, it was like I got bills and responsibility. You know, I can't do that. Well, family, so that was one yeah. of the things that drove me. Like, you got to make it happen here. Yeah. You gotta, they got to keep you, yeah. you know, that type of thing. So definitely family is a huge part. We, you know, one thing that I know that I'm going to try to do as a head coach that we kind of got away from, and it's to nobody's fault. Like, mm-hmm. years change, things change. Sponsors change, venues change, et cetera. Um, but one of the things we used to do when I was playing was we used to have families come around on Friday before home games. Mm-hmm. You know, we would do our team meal, and we would encourage, like, if you have kids, bring them. Yeah, you right. know, and all the trainers would bring their kids, and the coaches would bring their kids, and the players who had kids would bring their kids, and the kids would run around on the field. Like, right. Shane and Demaris running around on the field. Yep. Those are the moments they didn't want to give up, right? Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Um, but it, draws, it drew us in, you know, and that's why you'll hear so many people that were around our era when I was a player that look at it like family and mm-hmm. call it family. And um, Peyton Riggs, our offensive coordinator, who's Coach Riggs' son, okay. I mean, he says it all the time, like, this was my family. Like I, when I was seven years old, every year I had thirty new big brothers. You know, right. and so it's like that's all he knows. You know, Shalia is kind of that way. That's all she knows. Yeah, Shalia being my daughter, she that's all she knows is storm football. Like mm-hmm. she was literally three when I started. Wow, you know what I mean, yeah. so she's she's a part of the team. Yeah, she's a cheerleader now. Yeah, she, she did just finished her third season cheering. So it's mm-hmm. it's a huge part of it. And it, it is with anything in life, man. Right. If you got family support, it's gonna be a lot better than if you don't. Absolutely. Hundred you know I mean? percent. So we try to make sure that we keep that as a part of it. For sure. Has Absolutely. to be. Has yes. To be. You know, actually, I have I have two questions quick here. They're all going to go into the same here um, just before we get into our next part of our episode. One, you have a very busy schedule, you know, and, and we, we kind of took a chance we to reach out to you and have you on the episode here um, on the podcast. My first question is, is one, why did you decide to come onto the podcast today? Well, first of all, you asked. Right, and yep. nobody else had asked. I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. I'll yep. do it probably as the first one as the new head coach. So yeah. mm-hmm. we got that feather in our cap. There right? we go. Yep. Um, two, I, I've known Zacchaeus for a while, mm-hmm. so but it was always fringe. You know, like we maybe see each other now and then or whatever. And so when he asked, I'm like, well, absolutely, I'll do that for you. And, you know, yeah. support the cause. And then uh, when I saw that you were on there, like, mm-hmm. full disclosure, you know, I'm not – we don't. I, we keep it real, you know. I'm yeah, like, oh, absolutely. I'm definitely going on the Black Guys podcast. Right. Like, yep. give him some love and appreciate and, and show it up. And then I think you guys are doing a good thing. The the message and the intent mm-hmm. behind the meaning of uh, overstepping poverty and like the description and everything. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I gotta be a part of that because I'm I'm right. on that movement too. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that was actually my second question. There is. You know, we ask everyone that comes on here because we all have a different mindset, different mentalities, different understanding of what overstepping poverty is. Can you tell us what, when I say overstepping poverty to you, what does it mean to you? Yeah, so I thought about this earlier. I kind of knew that it was going to go in this direction. Um, 
for me, it's it's about the mindset because I mm-hmm. think poverty is a mindset. Right? Mm-hmm. Some people see it as just a state of being. I'm poor, so I'm impoverished. You know how mm-hmm. I grew up. Well, we know people who are very happy in that at that level, right? And right. there's levels to it, right? Because there's people yeah. who may be here that think they're in poverty when there's other people lower than them. So for me, it's a mindset. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I think overstepping the mindset is something that we have to do yeah. um, as people, right? Mm-hmm. But especially as young black people, because we can get caught up in it. Oh yeah, you right. know We can get caught up in it. And for me, if we can show young black men that you can be cultural but still be striving for mm-hmm. excellence and doing the right things and being a you know being somebody who can change and all of that to me that's what we got to push more of because mm-hmm. what what I think happens with a lot of us mm-hmm. is we come from the hood right we know we want to be out of it right but when we get to a point where we can be out of it we feel this need to like still be connected to it because mm-hmm. we don't want the people in the hood to disconnect us or look at us some kind of way. Yeah. Right. And a lot of times they do it just because they're not on the same trajectory as us. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they kind of throw that out there and then you feel some kind of way. So you want to feel right. like you got to stay connected to it. We all know the goal is to keep to moving up, yep. keep getting better. Right. Yes. There's no shame in that. You got to let that go and show them like, no, it's not that just, let me show you how to come with me instead of you standing there hating right. on me and that type of thing. And a great analogy. I used this with the football team a couple of years back. I think it's very relevant to this scenario. A caterpillar goes through a metamorphosis to become a butterfly. Mm-hmm. Once it becomes a butterfly, it can't go back to being a caterpillar. Right. Mm-hmm. Once mm-hmm. you made that change, man, you, 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 got, you, you did something. You got out the hood or you did this or that or the other. You can't go back to that. Right. Right. And there's no nobility in you trying as a butterfly to mm-hmm. go and hang with the caterpillar on the ground. Mm. The nobility is go down there and explain to that caterpillar, caterpillar man, you got to go through the metamorphosis so you can fly like me. Right. Yeah. Yep. Hope. You know what I mean? Right. Go tell them that. Rather than just hanging out down there on the ground when you can fly around in the sky. Like, right. go tell them how they can get that to that, too, so they can go through that metamorphosis and start flying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's our job as, I mean, leaders, coaches, you know, and anything that we do, we have to show how to be successful and give people these steps to overcome anything in mm-hmm. life. So, like you said, show how a caterpillar can become a butterfly and continue to fly and be a butter a butterfly and yeah. go back, you know. So, um, but that does lead me into our next segment of our episode here, which is our roundtable. Yeah, uh, this is where you can actually ask us questions. Nice. I know you came prepared, yeah, so fire away. Go. <laughs> Let's go. So, the first question, I'm sure you probably get this one, but so why the title "Overstep in Poverty"? Like, how yeah. did that come about? So, "Overstep in Poverty" came about because one. When you first see it, everyone doesn't, no one ever like recognizes the overstepping, overstepping. They look at poverty and they instantly think, oh, wow, this is like something down in the dirt. You know what I'm saying? Getting it out the mud, which I I totally get it. And that's what I wanted to people because it's going to be, it's a topic that people feel a lot of people don't know about unless they came from that. 
you know, Mm -hmm. but there was more to it than just that. Like you said, there's a mindset of it. And that's in anything in life, whether it's, you know, if you want to be successful and you continue to tell yourself negative things, well, guess what? That's a poverty mindset right, right. there. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, but there's, it's so broad. And, and I know that every single person that we have on here, they have a different perspective of what poverty is and what it means to them. And so I wanted to make sure that we had something on, you know, whether the title is something catching so that when people do think of this, they can actually make it their own. When it comes to that, like how, how can I overset poverty or how can I help, how can I help someone else overset poverty? You know? So that's why, that's why I kind of just like dove into the title and I'm like, this is it. This is it. Because when I was younger, if you listen back to our first episode, there were some things that I was going through and, and I made it my mission that someday I would give back. And this is how I'm giving back. I want people on here to tell others um, how they became successful. So then people who are listening to this, they know that you're not alone. You're, right. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's yeah. there's another way to get to, to be successful in life. You just got to listen and you got to take some of these these good things that we're all saying and we're all preaching about and then implement those in your everyday right. life. And that's how you're going to overstep poverty. Yeah. I hated the name. <laughs> at first he said it. We're like coming up with names. We're sitting right here at this table and going through names. I go home. It was late, probably after midnight. And... <laughs> He texts me, he's like, overstepping poverty. I'm like, hell no. Like, nah. <laughs> no, I don't like the name. I don't what want else? I don't want poverty <laughs> attached to our name mm-hmm. is really why I didn't. Because I felt like, like he said, when I thought of poverty, I didn't want people thinking of the stereotypical idea when people think of poverty mm-hmm. of a black man in the hood. Like, I didn't want that. And as we were talking about, he's like, this is nowhere on the Internet. Overstepping poverty is untouched. And that definitely opened my eyes to it. But then as we started to talk and go through the different topics that we wanted to talk about, it's something I became passionate about because, again, I can re-echo what you guys saying. Everybody, we've seen people come from the worst to the worst and be more successful maybe than anybody we know. And we know people, maybe firsthand, maybe we went to school with them or whatever, that come from quote-unquote perfect lives and are unable to meet up to expectations or Mm -hmm. unable to meet up Mm -hmm. to what society thinks they should be. And yeah, I think that with overstepping poverty and a reason why I like having all a bunch of different guests on is it kind of reminds me of the book think and grow rich. Mm -hmm. If you read the book, the guy that basically formulated the book of think and grow rich, what he did was he interviewed the most successful people throughout the world. And that was his job. And through interviewing them, he was able to find what is the characteristics that each one of these people share, because we all have so much more in common than we think. And that's what it is for me. Like when I talk with you, there's something that I can take from from what you're saying. There's something that people are going to be able to take from this. It doesn't have to be the full thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be one thing where it's like, oh, damn, like I am being slept on. I got to keep going. Yep. You know, and just everybody that we have, they they just have so many different perspectives, whether they're from America or they're not from America. Those different perspectives are being from here. There's just there's a lot. But I really enjoy the the learning of Mm -hmm. everybody that we have on. And I think overstepping poverty is about that. So. So we. We're we're in a good flow right now Uh because that leads me to to my next question, which is through all of these interviews that you've had so far, I think it's 30 
interviews or yeah, something yep, like pretty that. Pretty much, yeah. Has there been, or what has been the biggest thing or theme that you've learned from all of these interviews? Yeah. Mm. I'd probably say the biggest thing that I've learned from each of these interviews is, and I keep saying it, it's just the different perspectives when it mm-hmm. comes out there, but also every single person that we have on, they don't close, close your idea out. They don't close like what you're saying out and just is like, okay, yeah, no, that's not it. You know what I'm saying? Every single person has such an accepting mindset and it, and it takes me back to college where I had a USD teacher, uh, Mr. Roach, shout out to him for criminal justice. And he sat in the front of the class and he had a lantern and he put this lantern down and he's like, what do you, what do you guys see on this side of the lantern? And everyone said what they, what they saw. And he's like, okay, well, if I told you on the other side, it wasn't this, it was something just completely uh, opposite of what a lantern is, you know? And we're all like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, that's the thing. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not true. You know, and that's a message that I've taken with me in my entire my entire life. Mm -hmm. Like it's better to maybe ask more questions and learn more before you just jump to a conclusion on anything and just shut it out. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I see on like everyone that's so that's successful and that sits in that chair and we ask and we interview them. They're they're successful because they're learning and everything that they do in every stage in life. It doesn't just stop. So they continue to accept these things in so they can get better and they can help other people get better as well. So, you know, it's interesting before you get to yours yeah. as a kid. <laughs> Shout out to USD teachers, right? right. They must have been doing something right. Mm-hmm. I had a similar experience with a t- and I, I don't remember his name. Mm-hmm. I'm older than I'm older than <laughs> Declan. So I don't remember his name, but I remember the class was a very, it was the most interesting class I had because this is how it went. We came in the first day and he basically said, we're going to, I'm going to ask this question. Mm-hmm. You're going to like basically research your answer and sell your answer to the question. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to discuss it the whole rest of the semester. Wow. Like what? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And then it was basically, you know, then at the end, the the, the final was kind of like, have your opinion changed or do you still stick with what you originally said? And we, mm. the point of emphasis mm-hmm. or that the end point of at the end of it was something that stuck out to me, like the lantern thing. Yeah. It was, Correlation is not causation. Mm. And his basically his thing was if there's 10 people that go into a movie theater and watch a a violent film mm-hmm. and nine come out and commit a violent act and one doesn't, then that means technically, it, according to what he's saying, and mm-hmm. it's some truth to it, um, but we could argue, but it's some truth to it. He's basically saying is if one doesn't, then that movie was not the cause mm-hmm. of those people doing violent acts, right? Because it wasn't a hundred percent. And I was, and, and then that's what we worked through that whole semester. It was deep, Makes right? You think I was like, for sure. it does. Yeah. yeah, it was like okay, correlation is not cause. You may be able to make a correlation, but that doesn't mean that's the cause unless right. it's a hundred percent, you know. And so. Very interesting that you had a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to USD. Seriously. Uh, for me, the biggest thing I learn and take away, I think, from each person is a few things. Most people that we've had on are have have failed a lot, have failed. And for most of them, their relationships were always the most important thing as to why they got to where they're at. Mm-hmm. You know, for you, it was the coach that recruited you and your brother that got you here to South Dakota, right? Mm-hmm. And from there, it doesn't even matter that he didn't coach you. 
right? Because right. everything else is unraveled yep. to where we're at today. Um, and for like Matt Roach, we had a Matt Roach on and his kind of his step into where he's at now was working for somebody and changing to working with them as owners of the same company. Mm-hmm. And from that point, building what he has now. And it, it, it's, it's like that for a lot of people. It's all about the relationship um, and the people that we meet in this journey. And like Daquan said, the perspective, perspective and relationships are some of the most valuable things that we can have. Cause with perspective creates understanding Mm-hmm. And once we understand something or some situation, we're able to have sympathy or empathy or know how to respond and react to certain things as opposed to just being like, oh, damn, they're they're crazy or mm-hmm. whatever, you know. So perspective and then just the relationships, the the whole network is your net worth thing is real, I think. Yep. So agreed. That's the biggest takeaway for most people on here. Is, so is I got two more. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One more thoughtful than than the last one but so the more thoughtful one is you know when i'm coaching and obviously the goal next year will be to win the championship mm-hmm. yes, and then once we do that then we'll move on and go for the the next one mm-hmm. right but that moment will be kind of the goal of the season mm-hmm. so what's your guys's goal what's that one thing that that you'll be like yo we did that mm-hmm. or, yo we made it even right. though I know then then the next day you'll move on to something else, but yep. what's the one thing right now that you that you're shooting for with the podcast? Yeah, I think right now for me, oh, there's so many different things because right? I <laughs> I really do have a big vision for overstepping poverty. I've said it before. I maybe I even believe it, but I really do think overstepping poverty is a an international brand. I think it's something that can connect people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it will take getting to that point to feel that we've been successful. I think the biggest thing for me is I think when we're going out of state to go somewhere and sit down and interview somebody Mm. is we're like, okay, we're actually taking it. Like we're hopping on a flight or whatever it is to go somewhere and and continue to build this thing. Because right now, mostly everybody... Pretty much everybody has been here Mm -hmm. Um, in Sioux Falls. We've gone to a few different businesses now and been able to record at those places. But, um, yeah, just getting out and growing and expanding to different parts of the country and then hopefully the world at some point will be amazing. Right. It's funny you said that because right when you said that, it gave me butterflies because I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, gosh, I want to get on the plane. I want to, I want to show up to someone's office with all of our equipment, sit in there and, and have a full understanding of them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And be able to take all of our viewers and listeners with us uh, just to know that, um, though this is community knit, here we we also want to step outside the community because we're going to be able to change other people's lives elsewhere as well um when it comes to that as well so that's i mean yeah i'm sorry i, I gotta <laughs> yeah, take the same thing yeah, that's oh, all yep. good man i think it's awesome for for us to want to do those types of things and want to grow but at the same time going back to the relationship thing mm-hmm. you know last uh last time we recorded we recorded with the mayor and now we're recording with you nice. And being able to build a relationship, build yep. a friendship or, you know, so if we see each other, you see us, we see each other at high V, it's not going to be like, oh, I, I, we know each other, but we don't really <laughs> right, right, talk. Right. No, I was like, oh, what up? Yeah, like, it's exactly. good to see you. And it just, it connects people, man. I wish more people would sit down and just have a conversation mm-hmm, like right. this. We didn't even get into anything like 
super, super deep or super personal or just, you know, but we're able to know more about each other, knowing where you're coming from, kind of how it was growing up and those things, those are important because then you can add more of the human feeling to the people that you're talking exactly you know so exactly it's crazy though it's crazy being able to sit down with with people like yourself honestly absolutely so my last question then is when was the last time you guys been to a storm game Ooh, that's a great question i can go first it's been about three years for me been about three years i used to go with students that i worked with or so whether it was summit oaks we would go to some games or uh, community campus just in the school district and not to some years but it's been too long yeah that's for sure mine has been high school honestly really i can say that yeah. honestly well, we know what we gotta school. do we know what we gotta do in yes, march sir. April, right April. March. seriously let's go this sounds like we, we might get an invite <laughs> <Just> <laughs> there you go we should well there. actually one of my questions was how can sioux falls do a better job of supporting you and the sioux yeah. falls storm coming to the games to me that's the yeah. biggest thing right now is you know it's i think we literally, in my opinion, um, spoiled the city with mm. our successes. Mm-hmm. You know, right. from from eleven to seventeen, we were in the championship every year, mm-hmm. and wow. I think so. People got to be like, "Oh, they're gonna win it again. Oh, they're gonna win it again." Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in seventeen, obviously, the league changed. We got a few more teams in it that were competitive like 17 was the year that arizona was their first year in the league and they came into our place and beat us in the championship oh wow then in 18 we lost to the championship in at iowa so we've been in the game for Mm -hmm. so long i think everybody was like oh yeah what you know whatever storm's gonna win storm's gonna win so they stopped coming Right, but now we want to get them to come back. You know, right. we took a couple of years where we didn't make. You know, we first round and out, or we didn't make the playoffs. And then this past year, we got back to the championship game. Yeah. Um, so, biggest thing the community can do is come out and support us. You know, the yeah. tickets aren't expensive, and I think that's always a big deal. Mm-hmm. Sure, twelve dollars. That's right. that's wow. you know, twelve dollars. Yeah, and technically it's ten, but then there's a two dollar like fee. So okay. it's $12. $12, yeah. yeah. So yep. the community can come out and support us in games. You know, if we can get the Denny packed back yeah. up like it used to be, mm-hmm. that'd be the goal. And, yep. you know, it's not going to feel the same. We get a lot of those people like, well, in the arena, the arena only held 3,500. Mm-hmm. So you put mm-hmm. 3,500 in there, it's, it's packed. packed, it's loud, it's exciting. You know, you put yep. 3,500 in Denny, it still seems a little empty. Um, but it's actually, for us, it doesn't. Because right. the bottom bowl is only like 5,000 total seats. Mm-hmm. So if you get 3,500 in there, it, it looks packed. Right. Mm-hmm. So that you know that's what we want. Come out, support the team. Yeah. I think we will get, you know, the goal, obviously, or hopefully, mm-hmm. is that we'll get a few more people who've been away for a while yep. that'll want to come back now just because I'm the new head coach. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's not against anything, but it's changed. You know, Curtis has been the only head coach we've known. Right. Technically, he's the second head coach. Mm-hmm. In storm history, because the first one, it was only a year, right? So yep. everybody just knows Curtis Riggs as the head coach, and now that he's finally moving on, it's a new era, a new feel, right? Um, I always say it's it's the same house. You mm-hmm. know, we built the strong foundation, but we built we also built a very strong house. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and all we're doing right now is really just 
Changing the paint. Redecorating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, changing the paint, changing the pictures. But we're going to try to keep the house the exact same. So we hope everybody comes out and supports us. Absolutely. Making making some room for more trophies. Right. Exactly. Right. I feel it. Well, let's do that, Sioux Falls. Let's definitely get out to the games. They start in March. Yes. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for that and get the family out there. Exactly. Let's get the family out there. It's not expensive. Go be around some football, some energy, um, and ultimately help our team here in Sioux Falls. Yes. Support. Support. Now, our very last thing here is something we ask everyone to do. We want them to come prepared with some tips, tricks, and hacks in overstepping poverty. So I want to know exactly what you would tell someone those tips, tricks, and hacks on how to overstep poverty. Gotcha. So feel free to chime in with any feedback or any thoughts on them. I think the first thing, and we talked about it, is you know, you, you don't think poverty, right? Mm-hmm. Think abundance, mm. um, think gratitude, yeah. right? It's easy to compare yourself to, well, we get, like they say, comparison is the thief of all joy, right? Mm-hmm. So we, mm-hmm. a lot of times we're looking at somebody doing better than us and we're like, man, uh, and I get that. But I say change the mindset around that, yeah. right? Don't look at it and feel bad about where you're at. Look at it and be like, Okay, I got to get going. Mm-hmm. Like use that as motivation. But at the same token, don't look, don't pacify yourself by looking at somebody who's doing worse than you. Because a lot of times we can do that too. Right, kind of like oh, playing down where, to your talent. I'm not where I'm at, yo. But hey, at least I'm better than such and such. No, mm-hmm. don't do that. Right. Keep looking at the person who's doing better and com- and and strive for that. You, you know, rather yeah. than. Because if you if you compare yourself to somebody who's doing better, then you're just being complacent. You're not right. gonna, you're not going to push mm-hmm. yourself. You know. Yeah. Bob Proctor says your thoughts turn into your reality. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. So you got to make sure your thoughts are in the right place, or you'll be in a place you don't necessarily want to be. <laughs> there it right? is. <laughs> there it is. The second one I would say is you know plan your work and work your plan, mm-hmm. and that's gonna the plan's gonna change, right? But. I can specifically remember when I was eight years old, I came across an episode on NBC, you know, one of the mm-hmm. networks. It was, it was, uh, you know, like inside the NBA, but it, it was whatever the first version of that was. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And they basically were going, they went to some NBA player and I can't remember which one at the time, but they were like, at his house. It was behind the scenes. Yep. Right. And this was before they used to do that because this was in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, more like late 80s. And I remember they went in the big house, nice cars and all this, professional athlete. Mm-hmm. And this was the year that I had just started playing Little League football. Okay. I can specifically remember saying, that's what I want. I want to live mm-hmm. like that. I want to be that. And I also specifically remember being like, Okay, how do you get to that? Mm. And then I walked it backwards. Well, you can't be a pro unless you go to college because that's where they draft you. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't go to college unless you're good in high school. So I got to be good in high school. Right. Like, it wow. was like that was the plan. Got to be good yep. in high school because that's how I get to college. And if I get to college, then that's how I can get to the pros. Right. And I think if more people were to actually set a plan like that, and that was basic, you know, Fair, but yeah. if you set something like that and then follow it, Guys, the limit, right? right. Because you, you can get more detailed, right? When I got to college, it was okay. This is a D two school, mm-hmm. so I need to start all four years. Otherwise, they might not think I'm good enough to go to the next level. Right? I was fortunate enough to do that, but it was because it was a motivating factor. Like I got to do this, 
in order to get that shot, you know. Mm-hmm. It started with your desire. Correct. Right? Yeah. Like, you have to be able to, if you're at home right now and you you're want. thinking and you're coming up with a plan, it, you're right. Like, what is it that you want? Once you know what you desire, you got to make the plan. Yep. And I then if you keep that, that there, yep. that desire stays there, you're going to chase it, chase it, chase it, chase it until you get it. Yep. And that's a beautiful thing. The next one I say would be be, <laughs> be detailed with your dreams. Mm-hmm. This was one that I learned later in life um, because I've always said God is always God has given me everything that I've asked for. Mm. But he didn't give it to me the way it was in my <laughs> mind. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I think that's on me <laughs> because I wasn't detailed when I was little. I used to pray to be a professional football player. Mm. I wow. was. Yeah. Yeah. I played with the storm. That's pro. Yeah. You sign a yeah. contract. You get paid. You know, I was a professional football player. Yeah. I wanted to be a professional NFL player. Yeah. But I didn't say NFL. I said pro football and God gave me that. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of things in my life that have been that way. Where I asked, 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 asked. And I look back on it. I'm like, man, I got that. Right. But I didn't get it the way Man. I thought about it because I wasn't detailed enough. So I tell my like son, and I'm like, be detailed about right. it. Like, mm. don't say you want to be a pro basketball player. Say you want to play in the NBA. You know, because right. I mean? they'll yep. send you to Turkey and give you some <laughs> right. money. You know, man, power <laughs> but, of the tongue. For <laughs> so sure, definitely be detailed with your uh, with your goals. We talked about this, so I won't hit on it too long. But be open to what you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, because. Uh, I got a lot of friends in Chicago that just wouldn't, they just wouldn't be able to make it in Verm. Mm-hmm. Right. And you've been in Verm, you know. Like, oh, yeah. They wouldn't be able to, to go into those bars and enjoy themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was, I enjoyed them. Like, there was times where I started looking forward to going I, right. I mean, back home in the summer in Chicago. Like, man, I got to get back to Vermilion. Right? Yeah. I want to hear some cotton eye jokes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, something crazy. You know, it, it's just some Shania Twain. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you got to be open to what you don't know because you never, I mean, you need to be expansive. Exactly. Right. You know, if you, if you close minded, that's what you are. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, I also talk about how, and he probably won't hear this unless we tag it to him, and I might tag it to him just because. But yeah. Yeah. my, he's still my brother-in-law, although my sister-in-law's ex. Okay. Right? So technically not, but my right. sister-in-law's ex, my brother-in-law. If you ran into him on the street, you would think redneck, racist, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's red hair, buff dude, wears the cut-off shirt, some tats, you know, Jean cut off shirt, you know, cut off sleeves, jean jacket, you yeah. know, like redneck looking dude. Like first yeah. when I first saw him, I was thinking if we were in Alabama, I just mind my business. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? That's how he looks. <laughs> Completely not that dude. <laughs> right. Completely not that dude. You know, like right. mm-hmm. I love the dude. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's my man. He loves me. It's all good. We good friends. Like like I said, he divorced, but we still friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know that if you didn't like open yourself up to that. There's so many of us that would see that and have that attitude like, oh, he mm-hmm. probably a racist mm-hmm. and just keep it moving. Right. Right. The only way you really going to know is, hey, how you doing? Or introduce yourself or be open to seeing first. They're going right. to show you. They'll show you your, their colors. Like right. if they are, they're going to show you and then you'll know. Yeah. But if you don't know, don't assume. And mm-hmm. there's so many of us that do that, man. For sure. Definitely in the opposite. I mean, we got a hundred million examples of them just assuming, you know, 
the white lady who clutches her purse just because you're walking down the street and you're mm-hmm. black. You know, like that. Like, yeah. don't do that. Like, we got to be open to what we don't know. Yep. It's the only way we grow. Yep. The last one for me is, you know, it's it's a quote. And I think, I don't know if you didn't say it, but you kind of, you were close to it. But when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Mm-hmm. You know, and I yeah. think if more of us could sometimes just stop and look at it from a different perspective. It doesn't mean that you have to accept it, but it might right. just give you a different perspective. Here's where I got that from. And Oh, you talked about thinking girl rich. Yeah. And I, it wasn't in that book, but I think something in that, it might've been. Okay. Mm-hmm. I heard this. Oh no, it was Stephen Covey. Okay. Told this story and me being from Chicago, it's fitting. Mm-hmm. Right. He told a story about it's five o'clock on a city train. Like just imagine you Chicago L train, right? It's mm-hmm. five o'clock, everybody's coming home from work, so the train is half crowded. Mm-hmm. Right? Man sitting there. And he says, train stops, uh a father and three kids get on. And the kids are about like three, five, and six years old. So that young sure. age. Mm-hmm. He said they all get on and the kids are just rambunctious. They climbing on the seats, they running around the train, and they doing all that they loud, they fighting with each other, and the father's just sitting there like dazed, just kind of in la la land, not really there. Right. Right. And Stephen Covey, who's telling the story, he's like, You can notice the people on the train are starting to get annoyed with these kids. Mm-hmm. And he's took it upon himself. He's like, Let me go over here and just talk to this man, see if he can corral him up before somebody goes off and it gets bad. Right. right. So he goes and sits next to the guy. And he's like, excuse me, sir. I don't know if you, uh, I'm not trying to be in your business or anything, but you know, kids are kind of unruly right now. You might want to make them sit down and relax because mm-hmm. people are starting to get annoyed. Mm-hmm. And he says, when he said it, the man kind of like snapped out of his daydream and kind of looked around and was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. You know, um, yeah, they probably are a little unruly. I just came from the hospital. My wife died. Mm. Um, I don't really know how to handle it. And I guess they kind of just don't know how to handle it either. Right. And he said that at that moment, he had what he called a paradigm shift mm. where he saw the situation from a totally different perspective. Like nothing changed, but the way he saw it, yep. because now he felt empathy or sympathy for the, the father and the kids, and he kind of understood why they were doing that. Right? right. And so with so many of us, if we can, before we react, maybe just take a, he- a second to maybe see it from a different perspective, mm. you know, we might, you know, we might be in a better place in the world with our relations, you know? For yep. sure. Thank you I for agree. sharing that. That's powerful. That's very powerful. Well, thank you guys. Well, thank you uh, for being on the podcast today. You definitely have shared a lot of wisdom, a lot of intelligence, yeah. a lot of ways to go about different things, whether it's your perspective or how you should oversee a situation. Um, and I think a lot of our viewers and listeners are going to respect that and they're going to really relate that. And the next time they see, you know, the man on the bus and he's kind of sitting there and the kids are running around, they're going to have a different, you know, they're going to come back, come at it in a different way. So mm-hmm. we definitely appreciate you being on the podcast here. For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thank you guys, man. I enjoyed it. 
And Thank I, you. I'll come back again too. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Do it after the after the shit. Right. Let's go. A little recap. Next next August. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you to our viewers and listeners. Do not forget to go to oversteppingpoverty.com. Get your merch. Also, don't forget to like, share, and follow this. You guys know right below, we have all of our social media. So we're just looking for that follow and the next person to be on our podcast. But we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Overstepping Poverty. We hope you found this week's discussion informative and thought-provoking. We know that tackling poverty is a complex issue, but by working together and understanding the root causes, we can make progress towards creating a more equitable society. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family, and don't forget to subscribe to our show. Until next time, let's take the next steps in Overstepping Poverty.